Well, it is good, good morning, isn't it? All reasons to praise God already. Well, if you're new this week, if maybe you weren't here last week, you may be surprised a few of the decorations around here. Started a campaign called Party at Home. And the whole purpose of this series is to remind us that we as the people of God have reasons to celebrate. And it's important that we celebrate about the things that God calls us to celebrate about in our family units, as a church family all together in our neighborhoods. We want to be people of celebration for all the right reasons. We want to be people who party with a purpose. But I know in a series like this, there may be some misconceptions that arise because this isn't the way we normally decorate. So I want to start with the first misconception that happened this week. The first was, uh, I did admit I was the older brother and that I needed to step into the party. But that does not give anyone the right to come decorate my office with balloons and streamers. I I forgot the picture because you guys could have seen it. I think it's, what was the, what did the board say, Greg? Party Preacher. So, with an A, not an E-R. So whoever it was, I will find out and it will come up in a future sermon. The second misperception that may be out there is that if you post your party pictures on social media and you put, har- you know, hashtag PartyChurchGO, that it somehow absolves you of whatever partying you did, and that is not the case, okay? That's not what we're here to do is, okay, party as the world does it. We're here to talk about the difference between the way the world parties and the way that we as Christians are called to celebrate. And there is a difference, and I want to talk about that today with you. But before we get into the message, I want to pray that God's blessing on the words uh, about to be spoken. God, would you speak today through me? Would you uh, make those things that are true and according to your will, that are true about you and true about your people, would you cause them to stick, God? The things that I say today that are not in line with who you are, you want to be heard, would you let those things fall away, not to be remembered? This morning, God, I pray that you would remind us to these stories of Scripture, the kind of God you are and the kind of people we're called to be. So this morning, God, would you pour through me the gift of preaching? It's the Christ to be formed in our hearts. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I still remember the first dance I ever went to. Yeah, you probably do too. Don't don't look at me like that, all right? It was at summer camp. I was in Missouri, of all places. It was a Christian summer camp. And obviously not a Church of Christ one, because we would have never had a dance party, right? But at the end of the week, we had this dance party. And I remember being nervous about this all week because my parents had never preached against the evils of dancing, but I certainly knew as a preacher's kid that I probably didn't have rhythm as my spiritual gift. <laughs> so all week long, I was trying to come up with some kind of, you know, response to what was about to happen. And so dance party's about to get started, and I'd come up with this defense. You know, I came up with a myth that wasn't fully true. Yes, it was a lie. But it was the only way I could do to get out of it, you know, with, without... By saving face. And so I told these 12-year-olds, I said, I've I've got a girlfriend back home in San Diego. I know she wouldn't appreciate me being unfaithful in any kind of way, and so I'm going to have to bow out of the party today. So, you know, morally upstanding man on top of no rhythm, right? And I still remember sitting on the outside of that party thinking, man, I wish I was bold enough to just have fun, to just let down my guard, to just have a good time. Because it seemed like everyone else was having so much fun, but somewhere growing up I'd been taught that this was out of place for a Christian to be involved with. And, and maybe you feel that way this morning with balloons and, and penance. What, what, what are we doing here? What is this all about? This isn't what church is all about. Because Christians have gained a reputation, haven't we, as anti-partiers. But where did that reputation come from? 
And today I want to suggest that reputation didn't come from Jesus. I want to suggest to you that that reputation came from a guy named Plato a couple centuries before Jesus ever showed up. See, Plato had a worldview through him and his teacher Socrates and all those who were there that this world was actually not the real world where all the real stuff was going on. This was the shadow world, and and the allegory of the cave is where he talks about this. The idea was that all the real actions going on somewhere else in some other realm where the gods are having fun, but we as his minions and his pawns, we're here on the earth, and we live in the shadow world where the shadow is cast big from those people in the other world where it's all really going on. And so we're created in matter, we're created with bodies, and bodies are bad and souls are good. And so if we could just have our good souls escape from our bad bodies with all the matter and all the bad that goes with this world, then maybe we could finally be the people that God's called us to be. And so all throughout the medieval times, there was this religion that kind of beat up on the body, that tried to do everything it could to make sure we didn't feed the body the things that were pleasurable because there's nothing spiritual about doing that kind of thing. So you can imagine how parties kind of fall by the wayside when everything good and enjoyable is actually something we shouldn't engage in. And this was kind of the worldview. It was the immortality of the soul idea that one day we'll be able to float up in the heavens and we'll enjoy life in the clouds. But while life's here on earth, we're not to enjoy, at least those of us who are in spiritual, the enjoyable things of life from food to any kind of, well, let's name the list, right? I mean, playing cards. Some of us grew up in families where that wasn't something that you did, which is interesting for those who may be new to faith. What what does playing cards have to do with anything like this? But this was some of the tradition, no dancing in some circles. Um, And you have Plato to thank for that, not Jesus is my suggestion. And no wonder Christians have been avoiding parties and celebration because basically everything in a party is about what the fallen world's really about. In other words, parties can't possibly be spiritual. But again, I'm here to tell you that is not the perspective of Jesus. It's actually the perspective from the West that's been around for a long time. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, you see a a Messiah who cares deeply about the human body, doesn't he? He cares enough to come and heal people of their diseases. He comes and he shares a teaching that's actually good news. He shows up at parties when the Pharisees were trying to tell you not to. And so he enjoyed life, yes. He enjoyed it within the boundaries that God had presented, yes. He partied for a purpose, And Paul picks up on this in his letters. In in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a letter that he writes to the the church at Corinth, and he has something to say about the body that would have been all wrong to those who had grown up hearing the teachings of Plato. Because what Paul says is, no, it's not just that you're a spirit, and one day you'll get to be removed from that and float somewhere else. No, 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 the hope, the Christian hope is a hope where one day you'll receive a resurrected body. You don't give up your body forever. No, the body is actually a good thing that God's going to one day redeem and restore. And how many of us want to say amen to a resurrected body this morning, right? To long for the day when things will be different, where we'll get to enjoy. And those who don't get to walk will get to walk out of the wheelchair. We long for that day, don't we? Those of us who are parents and grandparents and have loved ones, even those of us that are struggling with with, with problems. You, you know, it's interesting because some of you grew up without having Christmas at home because Christmas was something the pagans did. But did you know the, the first war on Christmas, it wasn't actually secular humanists who fought that war. It was the Puritans. Because the Puritans were the ones who actually came over to the New World and they decided, you know, Christmas, that's, that's a whole pagan idea. Why would we take that on in the Christian faith? 
So the Puritans canceled Christmas early on in America's history. In fact, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, there was a stretch of time from 1659 to 1681 where anyone caught celebrating Christmas in that colony was subject to the penalty of five shillings they would have to pay as a result of it. Maybe you've heard about John Calvin turning the city of Geneva into a Christian city and some of the laws that were created. This is what you couldn't do in the city of Geneva, according to John Calvin. There would be no feasting, no dancing, no singing, no pictures, no statues, no relics, uh, no indecent or irreligious songs, no altar candles or organs, no wearing rouge or jewelry, no lace or immodest dress, no extravagant entertainment, no playing cards, no hunting. No drunkenness or naming children after anyone but the figures in the Old Testament. Wow, isn't that interesting? Sounds like a city you'd want to go to, right? And I'm not arguing that every Christian needs to partake in every kind of pleasure that God uh, asks us and has given as a gift. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm arguing against the notion that being a Christian means if you're happy and you know it, it's a sin. Because isn't that the way some of us have come to see the world? If you're having fun, there must be something wrong with it. And we as Christians have parties and celebrations that are worth having. And I want to talk more about that. The difference between the way the world parties and the ways the Christians are called to party. You know, most of us have evolved past the views of the Puritans, haven't we? We don't have the same guilt that previous generations did about that some kind of thing. And, And sometimes that doesn't go for our good because we don't feel guilty about anything. When godly sorrow is actually something that leads to repentance that God wants to leave us with. But, but how many of us, it's not so much that we, we've evolved, but, but our understanding of God hasn't evolved in the midst of this, has it? We still see God as this cosmic killjoy that's trying to make sure that we don't have any fun at all. I mean, how many of us have kind of grown up with the view that God didn't lighten up till he had a son, Right? As if when the New Testament comes along, he learns grace and he learns to be more compassionate. But today I don't want to look at the New Testament. We'll look at that in future weeks. I want to look at the Old Testament, and I want to look at the kind of God who actually calls us to celebrate. Because Here's a pop quiz for you this morning, okay? Who said party or die? Was it A, Kim Kardashian? Was it B, Hugh Hefner? Or was it C, God? And the answer you can find in your Bibles in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus is an interesting book, and we'll talk more about Leviticus in a future week, but Leviticus 23 is all about the festivals and the parties that God calls His people to throw in order to remember their story. There's the Feast of Weeks, there's the Feast of Tabernacles, there's the Passover Feast, and all these feasts are feasts that God's commanding His people to engage in. So Leviticus 23 is actually like a party planning chapter in Scripture, even though you probably stopped before you got to the 23rd chapter in your Bible reading, right? But if you read on, you would have seen that at Passover, it was this huge party they were to throw. And the people of God were supposed to actually tithe, yes, save up 10% of everything they owned to throw a huge party. And the the penalty if you didn't show up to the party was actually death, which seems like it could kill the party spirit a little bit. But at least no one showed up fashionably late. So you look at the Old Testament, you look at the book of Leviticus, and you begin to see a picture of God that I don't remember growing up hearing about in the Old Testament. Because you remember why the Passover was celebrated, don't you? People of God have been in bondage, and God frees them, and there's this angel of death that passes over on the 10th plague, and because the Israelites have blood painted on their doorposts, and uh, the the spirit of death passes over, and, and yet the firstborn in Egypt, they're all 
killed in the midst of this. And this plague is the way of God freeing his people because Pharaoh finally lets the people go. But do you remember the first confrontation that Moses has with Pharaoh after God calls him to do this at the burning bush? It, it's, it's different than I remembered it, actually. So I want to open up, if you would, with me to Exodus chapter 5. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. This is the first confrontation that happens between Pharaoh and Moses. Pay close attention to this verse. Afterward, after the burning bush and all this and meeting with the elders, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, you've probably memorized the first part of that verse if you've grown up going to VBS at all or heard children's Bible stories. Let my people go was this charge that God gives to Moses to tell Pharaoh. But look at the second half of the verse. It's interesting what that first request is. So that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. The first confrontation is about Israel needing to go throw a party in the wilderness to God, a festival. Now, that's not what I remember. I remember him saying, hey, let my people go, and, and, and Pharaoh gets upset about that. But the first request is, give us three days out in the wilderness. Let us, let us praise God. We'll come back. There was no leaving at that point. But Moses doesn't ask for freedom, does he? He asks to go celebrate. And what is Pharaoh's response? Let's read on in verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. So Pharaoh refuses the request. He refuses to let them go and celebrate uh, because he, he's worried about this. Now, the people of God have been enslaved for over oh, nearly twice as long as America has been a nation. They've been, they've been in slavery all this time. And this is what Pharaoh says. After all that work, all the slavery, all the quotas, this is what Pharaoh says in verse 8. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. In other words, it's lazy people who want to throw parties. Like celebration, those are the people who don't work. And so if they start celebrating, they're not going to work. The quotas won't be met. And then we're going to have a problem on our hands. I've got to say a word right here to those of us who are in the midst of a busy life right now. Maybe we feel like church isn't making it any easier on us because of all the demands and the requests and how much. I just want to say, I, when I came to Greenville Oaks, I was asking people around about this church, and they had so many good things to say about Greenville Oaks. But one of the things they cautioned me about was they said, i got to tell you, that church is trying to do too much. It seems like there's so much, and the staff's trying to just work harder and harder. I'm telling you, they're getting worn out. There's going to have to come a time where we learn to just rest, where we learn to just enjoy one another's company and not feel like we have to hit the next initiative. And what's next? What's, and we're, we're staff that's driven. We want to do more. We want to reach more people. It's hard to say no to work when it's the kingdom that you're trying to, to, to work in. But I'm afraid that we've done some of that here at Greenville Oaks. We've asked you and called you to so much that it's hard to ever find a break to even speak to God in the midst of it and wonder if He's here doing anything. But part of the rhythm that God gives in creation is a rhythm I've talked about before. It's a rhythm of six and one. We work six days and we rest for a day. And when we go against that rhythm and we just continue to work and we never take a break to thank God and to celebrate all that He's done for us, we're stepping out of a rhythm that's a healthy rhythm for humans. It's important to work, but it's important to rest as well. And I think sometimes as churches, we just make the seventh day just one more day of work is what it feels like. So I just want to caution us on this as a congregation. This is part of why this series is so important is it's a, a chance for us to step back and just learn to enjoy one another's company to celebrate the good things that God has done in our midst. We had two baptisms this morning. 
God's at work in this place and working through families and teachers. And their connecting point group came from second to first service, most of them, to celebrate this in first service. There are people who are here this morning that have been involved in Elisa's life and have been involved in the wages' lives. And all of this is coming to culmination because of the work and the importance of living together in community and telling God's story. And I want to thank you for that. Like these baptisms aren't just about the families involved, they're about this entire church that's taken them to this point, to many people and their families. All right, that's the end of my party rant, okay? But eventually the Israelites do get to party. I want to read a little bit more this party they finally get to have. The ten plagues have come, and they leave with payment after their years of slavery. And look at the payment they get on their way out of Egypt. This is uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. (laughs) The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we'll all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, carried it on their shoulders and kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. They gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Here's my question about this. You're about to wander, and they don't probably know how long this is going to take them to get to the promised land. But they're on their way to the promised land. They're leaving Egypt, and you've got a chance that God's allowing the Egyptians to give them things as payment in some ways for the years they've slaved. It's not that this is making up for all those years, but they get to take things with them because God has made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward them. What is it you would ask for if you knew you were leaving where food was on the table and you were going out into the desert? I might think about uh, weapons because of uh, tribes that are out there and maybe to, to be able to kill things to eat, right? I, maybe I would have thought of gold and silver like the Scripture mentions. I might have thought about a, a frying pan or maybe a shovel along the way that could have helped down the road. I, some of you have made these calculations before, haven't you? You've thought about if there were a house fire, right? What, what are the few things that I could salvage out of here that I would want to take with me? That's kind of the decision that Israel's got to make in this situation. What are we going to take with us? They're favorably disposed to give something to us. What are we going to take? What's most important? I I find it ironic. The first thing that's mentioned that they took with them a few chapters later. We read about this in Exodus 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 15 verse 1. This is the song of Moses and eventually the song of Miriam we'll read. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. This would be a great thing to pick up later this week and continue to study. But this is the song of celebration. They've left Egypt. God's taken them through the Red Sea. They're on to their salvation, their liberation. This is what it says. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His army He has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemies. And on and on it goes, this praise, this admiration for God who has saved them and is now the one who reigns over everything. They can believe this. After four, over 400 years of silence, God has finally acted on their behalf. 
Pay close attention to the end of this song as it talks about that item. What's the item? What's the thing that's first mentioned they took with them? It's interesting. Verse 18. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver He has hurled into the sea. Did you catch what the first item mentioned is that they took with them? It's a timbrel. A tambourine. Now, out of all the things I would have thought to take out of Egypt with me, this would have not been the first one. Because what good is a tambourine when you're walking out needing food, needing to take care of yourself? But I find it interesting that this is what they took. Because what they knew was, again, why would you bring a tambourine with you out into the desert? You bring a tambourine if you know there's a party that's about to commence. But not just one party in Exodus 15 after passing through the Red Sea. You bring it with you when you know there's going to be future parties because the God who saved you from Exodus and, and the story of Egypt is not finished with celebrations. He's going to keep doing things that are cause for celebration. And I just find this to be some kind of reminder for us in the midst of our lives that we would take anything else. We're, I mean, we take things that would be beneficial to us, right? But somebody thought it was worthwhile that when they left Egypt, they take a timbrel with them because there's going to be a celebration, there's going to be a party to celebrate the good works of God. Isn't that interesting to any of you? Why a timbrel? I want to back up to the question I started with at the beginning of the sermon. What's the difference between the parties the world throws and the parties the people of God are called to throw? And this is how I describe that difference. Most of the parties in the world, when it comes to pagan parties, when it comes to the way uh, parties defined in movies and other places, some of us have used parties this way. Parties are used to forget things most often. Parties are used to numb us to the pain and the suffering that we've had in our lives. We may not know we're doing this consciously, but at parties it's a way of saying, okay, the work week's over and now it's the weekend. Now I can forget about all that and enjoy myself. So this is the use that parties provide. Is there a way of forgetting all that's going on so we can just be in the moment and not enjoy the rest and not even have to remember the rest? But what's interesting is the reason parties are thrown in the kingdom of God is not to forget. Parties are thrown to remember. And that's the story we read about the Passover feast that God commands for Passover or for the Israelites to continue to do through the generations. In Exodus 12, this is the reason, this is what he says to them about the Passover feast. This is Exodus 12, verse 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? And tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. You see, the world parties in order to forget, but we party in order to remember. And that's what the Passover celebration was, wasn't it? They have all these foods and these cups and the foods, the unleavened bread, the, past, the lamb, all of these things are to, so the kids will ask, why do we eat this? What is this all about? That's a perfect story every year throughout the generations to continue to tell the story of what God has done in the past, of His goodness, the way He's fought for Israel, the way that He continues to do His miracles. And this is the way the story gets passed down through the generations. You know why I think Israel went into exile? I think Israel went into exile because they stopped partying. They stopped celebrating and telling the stories of Israel's past because eventually the kingdom gets divided. 
And when the kingdom gets divided, they start worshiping other gods, and they stop their celebrations that God had told them to keep celebrating for generations to come. And when they stop throwing parties, they stop having their kids ask questions about why they're throwing parties, and they stop telling the story of what God had done throughout the years for generations in the past. Not too long ago in a church of Christ of all places, uh, in the Metroplex, I heard this story from someone who was there that Sunday. There was a woman who came in, and she was a guest. And it was obvious because she brought her personal tambourine with her, which I've never seen in a Church of Christ before. And so she comes in with her bag with the tambourine, maybe a specially designed bag. I've never seen this before, but she came in, and, and the song starts going, and all of a sudden, when everyone else starts clapping, she starts hitting the tambourine. You can imagine what that kind of uproar that would cause when that's not exactly been our tradition of rhythm or instruments. So she wanders in and she plays the tambourine. Everyone's looking and it's causing a scene. And so one of the elders just kind of kindly walks up and says, Man, this isn't our tradition. I know I don't want to cause any offense, but if you just put the tambourine away, it would be helpful for our worship. She walked out the door that day and never returned to that church. And as I think about that story... I'm reminded about this story that maybe we forget the stories that have been told in the past. Maybe we forget that the tambourine lady actually shows up in Scripture at celebrations where God's people tell the story of God as well. And i got to tell you, I don't want to side with the Puritans or the Pharisees. I don't want to start collapsing parties and telling people not to tell the story of God because the only way we keep from going into exile is to tell the stories. And the way we tell the stories is we have these strange parties where the kids ask questions and go, why do we do this, Mom and Dad? We keep meeting together on Sunday morning when the rest of their friends aren't, and they go, why do we have to get up? And you know why we have to get up? Because there was a resurrection on a Sunday morning that changed everything in the world. And we show up every Sunday because we get to remember that story and we, we sing songs and we take communion and, and, and communion is a chance every Sunday for you to remind your kids of the story of what God has done. I tell you what, I, I guess I'm siding with the tambourine lady. I'm not planning on bringing my tambourine next week. I don't have good enough rhythm to go with that. But, but I'm beginning to wonder if these celebrations ought to return to our churches all over again. Maybe these festivals that they threw back in the Old Testament, maybe we need to have a Seder feast. Maybe we need need to be reminded of these stories from the past. You know, there was a line in a song years ago from Don Henley. Most of you know it. Some dance to remember and some dance to forget. And if I could take Don's words and turn them a little bit this morning as the way to remember this message, it really is that. Some party to remember and some party to forget. And my suggestion this morning is that we become the kind of people who throw parties so that we can remember the story of God, so we can pass down this faith to the next generation. Are you with me? Let's close with a a word of prayer this morning. God, I, I thank you so much for celebration, for the joy of being together. I thank you for, even last Sunday, just getting together and watching a game together and just, just enjoying each other. And we haven't done that enough recently. God, we used to do that more often in the past. Party was, it was just a normal part of our vocabulary to bring casseroles and fried chicken and, and have potlucks all the time. And that changes as things have gone over the years. And we need, to, we need to return to that, God. We need to do strange things that cause our kids to ask questions. So God, I thank you for the peculiar church service we enter into every week. 
It's peculiar because all their friends, these kids, they, they don't understand why you get up on Sunday morning and go to church, but that gives us a chance to tell a story. So God, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that on the third day you rose again, and that's why we celebrate today. Thank you for the, the bread and the juice, these strange reminders of the body and blood of Christ. Thank you for, for just this morning the baptism and a reminder that, God, your son went into the tomb and came back up, and when we're baptized, we experience the same thing. These symbols, these parties, these celebrations. God, help us to be people who remember at parties and not people who try to forget. We love you, God. We thank you for Jesus. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.